Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I actually left last Sunday and I asked my wife, I said, was that, a, was that too hard of a message? We went through the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Choke, right? Choke the word. And so Michelle, you know, was like, no, I don't think it was hard enough. Well, that's probably my wife, right? So the great thing is we're going to talk about the good ground, but you don't get the good things until the good ground is prepared. In fact, uh, thank you, Eric, and the worship team. I think part of our worship today was also aligning our hearts, that we remember our hearts are good ground. How many of you have a favorite fruit? Like if there was only one fruit, you know, you had it, it's your favorite. You know, they, they've done, and I don't know who does this, but they've done personality tests with the fruit that we like. I'm sure somebody got a PhD in fruit analogy, right? And so I don't know if anybody would go to like a psychologist to figure out what type of fruit they are. But if apple is your favorite, you are known as the friend next door. If banana is your favorite, it says you're a go-getter. If you like blueberry, I, that's one of mine, right? I like blueberries. It means you're hilarious, right? Anybody like blueberries? Hopefully... Is, are, those, are you hilarious? You think, all right. If you like grapefruit, you're a power player. If you like lemon, you're fresh and clean. If you like strawberry, you're a fun person to be around. If you like oranges, you're patient and you're going places. If you like limes, how many like limes? Like that's your favorite? All right. You like to party a little bit too much and we'll pray for you. Right at the end of service, right, to make sure, okay, that's just what they have. And then uh, if pineapple's your favorite, that means you have a great personality. So one of those fruits in there. It's interesting because it's estimated there's over 2,000 fruits, but only about 10% of those are eaten. Kids say their favorite fruit is apples. Teens say, what's fruit? I went, you know, yeah, it is. And most of adults have prunes are their favorite type of uh, fruit as well, too. But um, so it, let me read. In fact, I want to read a couple of these verses in Mark chapter four, and then I want to jump back up. And we're going to look today at the good ground. And so I'm going to look at Mark chapter four, the parable that he uses in verse eight and nine. And so Jesus says these words. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. And then we read in verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, 
and some a hundred. So, Father, we pray today as we read these verses, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You know every single one of us individually. You know how to speak to our hearts even today. Father, I pray that our hearts have been good ground to receive the seed of your word. And we bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let me read a few verses here. John chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, when we think of the word of God, like planting the word of God, we do. We think of our Bibles, right? Genesis through Revelation, um, which many would know the New Testament a little bit better. Many focus in on, on the Gospels, but it's the entire word of God. Genesis chapter 1, all the way through the book of Revelation. But never forget this one verse who the word of God is. And we read this in John. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word of God is Jesus himself. I'm not opening and reading out of some historical document with facts and figures. I'm reading the word of God that we'll look at in a minute was breathed to life in the scriptures. So when I'm studying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, I'm remembering also this verse that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. In fact, the other verse says, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 gives us this other description about the word of God. The word of God is living, it's powerful, right? And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So notice the description, living, powerful. We read words like soul, spirit, joints, marrow. I mean, it's piercing through everything about it. It's active, it's alive, right? Living, the word of God is living. And then 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul writes this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. Genesis 1. In fact, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that Pentateuch, the first five books, those were written by Moses. But Moses wasn't alive when God said, let there be light. But the Holy Spirit told Moses exactly what to write because God inspired it. Dave, one of the songs, created me a clean heart, O God, that captured in the Bible for eternity is going to be David and his sin. That he wasn't out with the kings, that he looked upon a woman, brought her in. She got pregnant, had the husband killed, brought her into his house. For eternity, right? That story is going to be in the Bible. How would you like things that you did in your past to be in the Bible for eternity? I can't believe that you're in that, right? You did that? Oh, no, eternity. But why is it in there? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Interesting, one of the um, 
lyrics of the songs we said was the word breathed. Well, look at the, the translation out of 2 Timothy chapter 3 in the new, uh, the new International Version. All scripture is God breathed, right? God breathed. You know, Adam, before God breathed into his nose, you know what he was? He was a pile of dirt. He was a pile of dirt. But God breathed into his nostrils and he became a living being. How powerful is that, that breath? So th these, the word of God to us is God breathed. Jesus talked about that every little jot and tittle, every little period that's in there would come to pass. We also read in the book of Revelations, whoever adds to the book, whoever takes away, from the book, let me tell you, you, you are in trouble, eternal damnation. You don't add or take away. But we go back to these words that when we read this parable of Jesus, this isn't history for us. This is God's breathing to us. And Jesus uses this example of this parable. If you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables. The one that starts it all is the sower sows the word. The example of the seed is going to be something that you're going to learn all about throughout the scripture. But when, one of the things that we've looked at, looked at is we've looked at four different types of ground. But here's what a farmer would have heard when he heard 30, 60, 100 times. If a farmer had 10% increase, that was a booming year, right? Because they always knew you were going to deal with drought, you were going to deal with pests, Right? You were going to deal with other little animals that come. We read in the scriptures, the little foxes spoil the vines, right? They come and eat the fruit. They always knew there was going to be loss. And so now Jesus says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100 times more. That is like hard for them to fathom because a great year would be if they had a 10% increase. You know, we read about uh, Isaac in Genesis 26 that he sows crops in a year of famine and he reaps a hundredfold, all right, in a year of famine. You know, God's blessing was upon him. An interesting example, that was like crazy to do in famine. You know, all of us that went through this summer and, you know, the hot and cold, it's hard to keep plants alive, isn't it, outside? You know, the amount of water and things that's needed. Imagine famine where there's been nothing. But the power of the seed, that word of God, is always to remember that that word is that example of Jesus to us. And that's why we read Mark chapter 1, verse 15. We've been using this each and every week. Is Jesus picks up and he says, um, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, right? Believe the gospel the gospel. So Jesus says that Walter is one of four soils. I can't be a couple different soils. I'm one of four. Some, right, some cannot, in fact, it's interesting, some cannot hear him at all because as we looked at that, Satan comes to steal the word or it's almost like, hey, Jesus isn't my answer. Some hear only the parts they want to hear. Never met anybody like that? They have their favorite part of the Bible, and that's the only part they read. They don't read it all. And it, they look at it as Jesus isn't really worth the struggle. Some are focused on other messages 
that Jesus himself is not enough, but some hear well. And that's what Jesus is talking about, hearing, hearing and hearing, that I'm focused on Jesus and his kingdom. And it's interesting how I listen to him really, really matters. How many of you remember that saying? My grandparents always had sayings. The early bird gets the worm. Anybody remember going that? You know, and then I heard one that said the second mouse got the cheese. And I thought, oh, that's right. The first one got snapped, right? And all right. Second mouse was pretty, pretty smart. So one of the things we're learning, maybe they were listening without listening. They were hearing, but they weren't hearing. In fact, we get a picture when we looked at it. There's this huge crowd on the Sermon on the Mount. And when he finishes the parable, they all kind of go the other way, except for the Bible records others and the disciples. Those are the ones that pressed in and wanted to hear. In fact, Jesus talks about that the good ground hearers are the ones that truly hear the word of God. They accept what the word of God says and they won't let go of the word because they know that they're going to bear fruit. I think it's interesting that Jesus uh, starts out with the seed. But when you think about even, you know, the seed is, you ever buy seed? You know, a lot of us don't do that anymore, do we? We buy the plant. We show up at the home improvement store and we look for the one that already has fruit growing. That's the one that we're going to get and plant. We don't start with, Seeds. That's a lot of work, little seeds. Got to plant it. Got to make sure it's in good ground. It comes up just a little bit, right? You got to keep watering it. We actually have, uh, Michelle got a seed from, um, I believe it's from the Amalfi Coast of Italy that will turn into a lemon tree. It's like this tall, right? And she'll always say, make sure to water my, you know, it's like, okay, well, when is it going to like produce one of those huge, like, lemons you know i'm trying to keep this guy alive for how long but everything's small jesus's ministry was small he only had 12 disciples there were three that pressed in that he did peter james and john he fed five thousand men plus women and children where if you looked at examples of how many people that could have been, it could be ten to 15,000 people that he fed. He did another feeding of 4,000. When he did the Sermon on the Mount, they estimate that that crowd was probably that size again. The parable of the sower was a huge crowd because they put him in the boat to push him out from the, uh, the shore. The triumphal entry, there were thousands of people. Pilate is concerned when he comes face to face with Jesus. What is going on? in the city and yet at the end of it all there was only 500 eyewitnesses that he rose from the dead and there was only 120 in the upper room but when peter preached 3000 accepted him and then we read again another 5000 everything starts with the seed right everything starts out small we read in zechariah never despise the day of small beginning in fact i remember our first march was the first food thing and we're, we're out here trying to figure out where to do it we were thinking to do it here we do it there we did it out here by the foyer right it's like no nobody i think there was 25 people came i remember walking into the fellowship hall it was a lot of work right for 25 people and i heard i heard that verse in my heart never despise the day of small 
you gain. You know, most people quit when it's small. Everybody wants to start large. But Jesus brings it all back in to follow him. Follow the seed of the word that's implanted in your heart. In fact, we, we know this, that when the good ground person hears the word of God, it completely changes and shifts your daily outlook. So if we take the good ground and we take the, the seed of the God word, now we filter it back that the cares and the worries of this life, I know that God's word and his spirit is going to guide me. I see, you see those gas prices going up, right? And you think they're going up and going up. What's the first thing that we think of? We get concerned and worried. But you know what's important? Shift back over. What is God's spirit saying? What is his word saying to us? The lure of wealth. Filter it back to the good ground. God's word's going to give you the wisdom on how to manage your finances, right? How to trust him as your provider. How everything that he's the God that gives you abundant supply. When you desire other things, the good ground, God's word, aligns your desires with God's heart. What is his heart and how do I please him? The good ground person embraces the word of God, receives it, believes it, agrees with it, and then applies it into their life. They don't just hear the word of God. The word of God transforms their life. Right? It transforms. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. And we, you know, it's interesting that we read this. It seems like over and over again in the Bible. It says, examine yourself as to whether you're in the faith. Well, can I examine them? No, examine yourself, whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified. Test yourself. The next test that comes upon you, recognize it as a test on your life. How are you doing in that test? How many of you remember the physical fitness test like in elementary school? And they were like, nothing, right? You got to do three push-ups. Ah, oh, piece of cake, right? Three push-ups. Do one pull-up, right? How many of you ever did a physical fitness test? And I mean, it was like you had to train like be ready for it, or you did like a sport for it, testing yourself to find out how you did. It's interesting that we read this, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. How did I, ref how did I respond last time this happened? Was I in the faith? Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? That Jesus Christ is in you? All of these things that we, we read, what he did, he is in you? One of the greatest things that God did was he didn't want to reside in temples. He wanted to reside in us, right? One of the great residing in us. We say, oh, I, I don't know what to do. I don't have wisdom to do this. Do you not know that Jesus Christ himself lives in you? And I thought about this about Jesus. And here's what's important for us. Jesus never took his eyes off of the prize. We read in Isaiah, in fact, it's prophetic of the triumphal entry. You remember Palm Sunday, right? What everybody was doing? Hosanna, right? Hosanna, taking off their coats, cutting down palm branches. 
cheering him, cheering him, cheering him as they go. Many of those same people might have been the people at the end of the week saying what? Crucify him, right? Got caught up in the crowd. The whole triumphal entry of everything going on, but that wasn't the end all for Jesus because he knew what was in the heart of man. But the, Isaiah says this, that he set his face like flint. Flint is that hard stone that you can hit metal against or other rocks against that's going to create a spark. It's hard. He was focused on the end of that week. He was focused on what he can do. In fact, we read this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And it uses this great verse because it reflects on us, but then it also reflects what Jesus said. In fact, let's read this all together. Ready? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wait, wait, wait. The joy that was set before him endured the cross? He was looking forward to the cross on Good Friday? Oh, I just can't wait till they stretch my hands out and put nails. How many of you, if you know it's going to cause you pain, you're going to avoid it at all costs? Right? Many of us are like that, right? I wear these one pair of shoes that I know if I don't put two sets of socks on, I'm going to have blisters. Blisters are the worst, right? Because then you walk funny and people ask, are you, you know, are you okay? You're kind of like, well, I got blisters. You know, we avoid, we try to avoid anything. Jesus didn't. In fact, the joy of Jesus enduring the cross was that you and I would have the opportunity to accept him as Lord. That became a joy to him. That three and a half year ministry of him teaching and, and teaching parables like this was all set up but he had to endure the cross. Well, when we come back here and we say, well, our focus then is looking to Jesus because he's both the author and he's the finisher of our faith. And I always want to remember the joy that was before him. You know, when I read these words, he despised the shame. You know, there, there, is, there are some Bible scholars that feel like when Jesus was on the cross, his entire clothing was ripped off and he could have been on the cross naked. If anything, he was stripped down to nothing. You, you know, you didn't do those in Bible days. The people that were hurling accusations at him, the shame of all that that would come upon him. But that was something joyful in him that he was not going to give up. He was going to fulfill every single thing because he knew what would happen if he did for the joy, and he sat down at the right hand of God. So when we go back and we read these scriptures and we read about God's word, I want to encourage you so much, and well, whether you start in uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whether you start in Psalms, whether you start in Proverbs, there has to be part of God's word that becomes a joy to you. That I'm not reading about Isaac and funny named people in the Old Testament, just because I, I wonder why it's in there, it's God-breathed for me. You know, every once I have a, I don't know if any of you have this, I have a, a Bible app that pops up every day, just kind of a verse of the day. It's amazing sometimes that verse of the day, I read that and I think, oh my goodness. And I'm sure it's some algorithm that pops up, you know, something. But just sometimes that word of the day, why? Because it's alive to me, right? It's alive to me. It's become alive. 
So bow your heads if you would with me today. You know, we've been singing a lot about making room. And Jesus reminds us that I'm one of four soils. Three didn't produce anything. One produced 30, 60, and 100 times. Father, we humble ourselves before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word has been breathed into our hearts and our spirits. And we read, because of that, you made us alive. We read that in Ephesians. You made us alive. But you've given us desires and a purpose for you. Father, I pray that the overflow of the 30, 60, and 100-fold is that our hearts are focused on your mission, what you're speaking, what you're doing, that we press into you in these days, that we don't go by headlines and we don't go by culture, we go by what you say. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I encourage you today to do so. In fact, if, if, even if you're in a, a position of you've been running from him and this is that time to come before him, I encourage you to do that today, making that commitment in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And I'd like all of us to pray this prayer after me. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I choose to make you Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, that is the most fact. When you talk about joy, the Bible says when a sinner repents, there's all joy where? In heaven, right? In heaven. I pray also that even in the scriptures that you go back and read uh, Mark chapter 4. We're not done because Jesus goes on because he talks about that the seed, how it works, is everything about how the kingdom of God works. That if we want to understand how the kingdom of God works, we have to have seed-like faith. We have to understand these things. So I pray, though, that you make room and that you press in that we remember. We all need to remember that it's not just a historical book that it's God-breathed. It's Jesus himself. We're spending time with Jesus himself. Stand with me and we'll close with this song.